Hello and welcome to the Emerald City Video Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Burlingame, and since it's Halloween week, I'm here to talk a little bit of horror. To be specific, this episode will break from our review format and instead feature an interview with J.V. Johnson, who oversees upstate New York's Scaricon, which takes place this weekend at the Turning Stone Casino in Verona. You can find details about the show, pricing, tickets, entertainment, and guests at Scaricon.com. Guests coming to this year's show include A Nightmare on Elm Street's Amanda Wiss, who uh, I, I actually know from Better Off Dead, but that's a whole other thing, Paranormal Activities' Katie Featherston, and Hollywood legend Malcolm McDowell. Zach and I are going to be headed down to the Scaricon this weekend, and depending on availability, we will be talking to whoever is available to talk at the show in terms of the, the celebrity lineup. So considering that most of these people are horror people, and again, Halloween week, stay tuned at the beginning of next week for, for some of that. Meanwhile, here's my conversation with J.V. Johnson. It's a weird time of year because I feel like there's just a ton of conventions that are happening. Pretty much it seems like there's one every weekend. We just had one in Syracuse two weeks ago. Uh, what makes Scaricon kind of endure? Because obviously it's been around for a while now. Well, we're in our eighth year. Um, and I think it endures because – well, there's two reasons. Uh, one is that I don't think there's anything um, that's quite our size in the area. There are a lot of conventions. And there are a lot, uh, and you said, uh, you know, every, recently every week, and I think all year round, every weekend, you can find a convention somewhere and maybe two or three of any of size. But as far as upstate New York goes, and as far as the Syracuse market or anything close by, um, Scaricon is kind of uh, the largest option, which means we bring in um, the most significant celebrities and the most significant vendors and the most significant opportunities, film screenings, parties, whatever it happens to be. I think um, you know that that's why we continue to endure. But the other reason that we've lasted this long and we continue to grow and have added a second location is that uh, I think we take a unique approach to how we uh, set up our events. And we make sure that um, we're not necessarily a cattle call type event. If you go to a Comic-Con in New York City, say, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to be you're going to be one of you know tens of thousands of people trying to work your way through a crowd to get a you know 15 second opportunity to get an autograph from somebody. And, um, you know, while we want to continue to grow, we at the same time make sure that we are not losing our fan approach and our intimacy. So when people come to Scaricon. Um, they can spend 10 minutes, maybe longer, with their favorite celebrity, talking to them, asking questions, whatever it happens to be. Um, the celebrities know that coming in. Mm-hmm. So I think that makes it a bit unique as well. Uh, it's more of a one-on-one type event, and it's much more intimate than most uh, conventions of our size. Are there any challenges to trying to operate a show of this size in Syracuse? Because it's a pretty small city. Weather is not always forgiving, and, and you got kind of all those variables. <laughs> um, there are a lot of challenges. Um, I will tell you that uh, weather has always been a difficult uh, um, issue. We, you know, we we've been earlier early enough in the year that we haven't had to really worry about snow, thankfully. Um, but we have had, I think, our sec- first year, maybe our second year, 
was the year we had some tremendous flooding and um, that caused all sorts of problems for not just trying to get celebrities into town, but also uh, for people that had intended to attend. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were bridges out. There was all sorts of hurdles they were trying to uh, overcome to get to us. So, yeah, weather can be an issue in upstate New York no matter what time of year it is because it's always something different. Um, Beyond that, yeah, you know, the size of Syracuse uh, is a bit of a challenge because – um, while we would love to see more people show up and support the event, you know, the numbers are sometimes sometimes uh, a little frustrating. And it's not so much for us that they're frustrating. But what happens is, you know, we get some of these uh, perennial uh, requests for, for celebrities from the horror genre. And we look at these names and we approach these people. And the first question out of their agent's mind it, or mouth is, you know, well, how many people are going to come to your event? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll tell them and based on, you know, what we expect our numbers to be based on the community. And they say, oh, well, we've got another event that's making an offer in, you know, pick a place, Atlanta. And it's going to be 15 times that attendance. So we're going to make more money there. So that's where we're going to go. And, you know, it frustrates attendees when they're making these recommendations and they're saying things like, why haven't you ever gotten Robert Englund or why haven't you gotten this person or that person? And, you know, there's not nothing we can do short of grow. That is going to um, get us to the point where some of these people will take a look at us as an option because they do have other options. You know, 15 years ago, um, many of these celebrities were looking for something to do on a weekend. Now they're getting three or four offers at a time. And, you know, we can't you know, we can only compete so much based on the size of our attendance and based on the size of our community to support the event. So we keep looking for innovative ways to bring people in. Um, and we're doing a pretty good job of it, I think. And, uh, you know, that's just going you know, to be the way we're going to be able to grow is just by continuing to plug at it. Outside of specific, you know, kind of like you said, fan or, or audience requests, how do you kind of approach putting a show like this together because obviously there's a wide variety of stuff from you know you go to like new york and la and they have live bands who play during the event and you have panels and you have all this kind of stuff right down to the thing that most people think of with horror horror shows which is you know the you know pay 40 bucks get an autograph and a picture well, we have all those things, too. We've got great bands. We've got great panel discussions. We got have great film screenings. Um, but it always comes down to which celebrities are going to be there. And this year was our most particularly difficult challenge because uh, Turning Stone, where we hold the event, did not give us a choice of weekends. And um, I've said all along that uh, the two worst weekends to have this type of event in upstate New York are Christmas and Halloween. And... I'm not even sure which order. I don't know which one's worse because, I mean, for us, you know, we already are faced with a challenge where celebrities are very, very difficult to get to get them to come to an event of our size. Um, but then you add the, the the pressures of a Halloween weekend and, you know, automatically, you know, 75 percent of the celebrities that you may have contacted to attend anyway are already booked uh, yeah. at other places because it's because of the weekend it is. And somebody like Elvira who I've actually, uh, Cassandra Peterson, and I've mm-hmm. actually developed a nice friendship with. And she loved my event, my Scaricon in, in uh, Massachusetts in June. And she was so anxious to come to this one. However, the month of October, she is booked for Universal Studios and, and is there for the whole month for their, um, you know, their haunted Halloween night, whatever yeah, the, the thing they do now. Uh, you know, yeah, haunted nights yeah. or something. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so she's frustrated. She can't. She she'll never be able to do a Scaricon in upstate New York if it's in the month of October. Just not possible. In fact, her contract starts in the middle of September with them. 
So, um, you know, it's it's not a good weekend for us. And unfortunately, Turning Stone, when they finally offered us dates for this year, didn't do it until June. So we were looked at looking at it. Okay, well, either we accept these dates or we don't have an event this year because we don't have time to find another place. And, and in all honesty, other places are very, very difficult to find to begin with in our area mm-hmm. uh, that can hold an event our size. It's just not something that's done easily. So we took it. You know, we we took a big risk and, and a big um, uh, effort to try to make this come together, knowing how difficult it was going to be. And now we have to see, you know, I think we've done a great job in putting together a really unique and aggressive celebrity guest list this year. And now it's up to people to come support the event. It's funny because I had uh, I had seen ads for the event, but I didn't know when it was or any of the details. I'm, I'm I've been traveling a ton for work, so I haven't been super cued into the local stuff. And uh, for for the podcast, we're actually we're doing a deep dive into this one uh, obscure film from the '70s. And I was talking about that project with somebody at a local event, and they were like, "Oh, so you're going to go to Scarecon because Malcolm McDowell, who's in the movie that we're talking about, uh, is at the show." <laughs> and I was just like, "Shoot, yeah, I guess I definitely have to do that." <laughs> Well, that's a neat coincidence. So, yeah, that's that's literally how I found out uh, kind of what was going on at the show was that uh, somebody else told me, oh, yeah, Malcolm's going to be there. Wow. Well, I mean, that just, you know, illustrates some of the hurdles that we're faced with. And uh, when I started Scaracon, I actually owned several radio stations in the Syracuse market. And I was able to kind of give it a marketing jumpstart because mm-hmm. I own the stations. I don't own the stations anymore, so I don't have that ability. And, you know, we rely heavily at this point on social media marketing. But yeah. one of the th- frustrating things that we encountered this year, and this may just be me not understanding uh, the nuances of social media marketing at this point, but um, I created uh, half a dozen ads to run on Facebook. And every single one of them was disapproved. And, um, you know, I went through their appeal process, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it comes down to the point where they finally say they throw up their hands and say, well, we're not really sure why these things are being disapproved because everything is legitimate. Everything seems to be okay. Maybe it's because your website, Uh Scaricon.com, is not an HTTPS website. It's just an HTTP website. I'm thinking, are you kidding me right now? (laughs) So, you know, these are the types of things that uh, we we just were hit with this year because we were so far behind the ball on on a calendar standpoint. Anyway, not having our date secured until June, um, when usually we have it secured in January. Uh, So, you know, everything was kind of working against us. But again, I've got to tell you, my team did a great job and i think we have an excellent show this year uh if it makes you feel any better i gotta tell you i don't think it is you uh, because i uh i have had similar issues with facebook since they changed their algorithm uh in the wake of the fake news stuff uh i've had so many issues with them and one of the sites that i or one of the the pages that i'm a moderator on has uh god i think it's five million people like it and so uh if if we can't get facebook to cooperate with us i kind of feel like yeah that that's not entirely your fault (laughs) (laughs) well it's frustrating especially because i'm a traditional media guy having owned radio stations for so long so that would have been my natural inclination anyway and this year i decided to kind of veer into the social media stuff pretty heavily and i was thwarted along the way now i'm happy to say that youtube didn't disapprove any of the ads they're running fine on youtube mm-hmm. so i don't understand i just don't get it but um you know that's that's going to be a lesson to learn after the fact here 
when uh, once you kind of get past all the hurdles and start focusing on kind of the the quote unquote good part in terms of putting the actual show together and who you're going to get and how you're going to do this. Uh, are there things that I mean? I I don't know you personally. This is the first time we've spoken. Uh, are you a fan who has things that you go in going like, well, if it was me as who's coming as a guest, I would want X, Y, and Z, and that I know I need to do that. There is some of that. I am a fan. And I have to tell you, I, I've, one of the things I found over the course of the years is that the people that I get excited about aren't necessarily the same people that the general uh, fan public gets excited about. But that's OK. I'm fine with that. And I have brought people in more from a personal preference than from what I would think would be a more mass appeal preference. But again, I'm OK. I'm fine with that. Um But what I usually do when it comes to trying to decide who to ask to come and who to bring in is I, you know, the first thing I do is I go through and look at uh, anniversary years for any given films. Mm -hmm. And I try to see, you know, what combination of popular film is on a, you know, 10th, 20th, 30th anniversary. uh, And then I reach out and see how many of those actors are available. And, you know, it's kind of a, it's a whole, you know, it's it's, it's, this weird convergence of, of criteria has to meet right in the middle for it to work out. But uh, that's where I start. And then once I start doing that, um, you know, I try to look at anything that's new that might be creating a bit of a buzz and see if we can get any of those people. Um, And sadly, uh, I don't know if if you've seen the movie Terrifier on Netflix, Mm -hmm. but um, that was one that's what people are talking about quite a bit. And I happen to watch it and enjoy it. And I was in conversations with the guy that played Art the Clown in that film, um, David Howard Thornton, and he's in New York City, and he was excited to come up. Just turns out he's going to be a chiller the same weekend, so mm-hmm. he wouldn't be able to make it. But those are the types of things that I do. And then once that process starts, I try to, you know, any of the booking agents that I'm working with uh, for people that I don't have a direct connection to, I say, okay, so who do you have available that might, you know, be good for this event? And I'll get some names that way, and mm-hmm. if, it, if it works, it works, and, and that's kind of how we bring our people together. How do you balance the the desire, and especially in a smaller town like Syracuse, to have local talent represented, versus the fact that we are a small community that has a handful of cons, and so you know there's certain folks who you see every six weeks, uh, and and so probably you're not getting quite the same bang for your buck as a promoter that way. Okay, I'm not sure I understand the question. Are you saying? Are you asking if you know if people have appeared at several different places? No, what I, uh, sorry. Uh, what I was saying is basically, how do you balance when you're making these decisions? How do you balance the the fact that clearly you you want to have local talent at these things if possible, but in a smaller community like Syracuse, oftentimes the local talent are already doing ten of these shows a year, and they might not draw the same crowd because people have already seen them. Yeah, um, you know. One, I, I'm not sure exactly what we're talking about when we talk about local talent. One thing I, I do is I always um, make invitations to local filmmakers. Um, if they have a film that, that fits within what we're doing, obviously this is a horror show, so it would be horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, I offer to screen those films. I offer to include them in, you know, in, in the convention in one way or another. Um, that's important. 
frequently they'll bring actors from their films to the event, you know, as part of their their team to represent the film. Um, I haven't gotten into inviting specific actors, if that's what you mean, who are local based actors. I don't know many, so I probably wouldn't be good at um, at making those overtures anyway. But I rely on people like uh, Ron Bonk, who runs my film festival. Um, he's a Syracuse based filmmaker. He's mm-hmm. got a lot of connections in that community, so he often invites people and brings people in um, to do that. I, I focus on the more national stuff personally. I think one of the things that's really interesting about upstate New York is that you have a lot more people who kind of went to SU or who have a familiarity with or, you know, just live in the city and don't mind going upstate. And so even though it's a small community, I feel like oftentimes you you find yourself in that situation where it's just like, oh, no, like Malcolm McDowell somehow for some reason is is willing to show up or, you know, uh, Kate Featherston, uh, etc. Was there anybody this year particularly that you were kind of pleasantly surprised like that that fell together? I have to say that almost every time I make an overture and I get an acceptance, I'm pleasantly surprised um, because I get so many rejections, in all honesty. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, again, this comes down to uh, I I read comments and suggestions people are making all the time. And I just want to often on Facebook, I want to reply and say, we've tried so many times to get that person. You don't even understand. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a question of not wanting to. Um, So but when I look at this year's uh, lineup, I have to be honest. you know, a lot of these names are a bit new to me, but after I did research both in an informal way, plus looking at their resumes and uh, making these announcements and seeing the excitement and the reaction, um, I'm really excited about them. Now, Malcolm McDowell, and again, being completely blunt about this, Malcolm McDowell is the biggest investment we have ever made in a, in a celebrity attendee. Mm-hmm. And in I don't know that he would have been if it wasn't Halloween weekend. He may have been half the price. I don't know. Um but I suspect that's the case. But, you know, so we, we go out on a limb, you know, because we have to invest in this stuff. Mm-hmm. And we hope that, uh, you know, the people who attend Scaricon year after year are going to be as excited about it as we are. Because I'm pretty excited about Malcolm McDowell being at Scaricon. And not just because of, you know, him being a high ticket celebrity for at least for, um, from our standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think his body of work is pretty impressive. And I think people will. Uh, respond to that and, and appreciate that. When uh, for for people who have never gone to one of your shows before, uh, essentially, how how does it work? Because obviously, again, comic shows uh, are a whole different animal than horror shows for a lot of people. And so, people like me, I've done primarily comic book shows where it's like there's ticketed events, there's non-ticketed events, there's artist alley, there's there's concerts, but the the rules are typically different from kind of venue to venue i'm i'm trying to think of uh, you know the bottom line with us is that again um you'll find that when we invite celebrities to our event Mm -hmm. um frequently we'll bring some that'll be repeat attendees uh we often do that it's because those celebrities treat fans so well and when i go to other uh, events and I go there in search of um, ideas for guests for Scaricon. I watch how they interact with fans and I watch what they do. And if they are the you know cattle call type celebrity where they don't even look up from their table as they're signing a, uh, a headshot for mm-hmm. the person who just paid sixty bucks for it, that's not the kind of person I want at Scaricon. 
if they're a celebrity that uh, takes a second or two or whatever they can afford time-wise, but during that time makes an effort to communicate and connect with that fan, then that's somebody I want at Scarecon. So when it comes to kind of rules and how it works, obviously there's an admission price. That that helps us cover the cost of, of um you know, hold, uh, holding the event at a facility that costs us, you know, to be there, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, once inside the hall, uh, all of the celebrities are charging for an autograph, and that money goes to them. Now, in many cases, um, if they don't, you know, we either have to pay them to be there, or we have to guarantee they're going to sell so much. And if they don't, we have to pay the difference. Right. Um, so, you know, we just we want people inside and we want people, um, you know, supporting the vendors, supporting the celebrities. But most of all, we want them to have an experience that when they leave, they say that was an amazing day or an amazing weekend. Or, um, you know, they, they're leaving and frequently this will happen to us. They'll stop at the registration table and they'll say, hey, we had a great time. Can I sign up for next year now? Mm-hmm. And when that happens, we know that we've done our job. And very often it does happen. And sometimes the hurdle, like you experienced, is just making sure people know about it so they know to come out for it. Um, That's the biggest challenge. I would think in our, you know, going into our eighth year that we wouldn't wouldn't have these uh, difficulties as much as we still do. But we do. It's just the nature of doing business in upstate New York particularly. Well, and and it's tough. I mean, from my perspective, it's like I – spend a lot of my time paying attention primarily to national media. So uh, most of my news is internet-based. When I do listen to things locally, it tends to be sports radio. You know, uh, And it's like I used to read the New Times religiously, but now that I, I, I don't get out as much to places that carry it, it's almost like the – I don't want to say corporatization because that sounds like it's judgmental about the way that the media is developing, but it is kind of like the 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 – influence of national media reducing the presence of local media makes it so much harder to effectively communicate kind of what's going on in your community and sometimes yeah um we it's kind of a double-edged sword here um the introduction of uh the internet sources of information whether it's social media or other types of news information um has uh, negatively in a lot of ways uh, f- impacted our local media operations. They just, in, in a lot of cases, can't survive and can't compete. And if, if, if we're even lucky, they still exist, and they, but they've paired back so mm-hmm. that they, you, you can't get the information from them. So, you know, we, we look at m- many communities don't even have a, a, a running newspaper, at least not a daily newspaper anymore. And that's just, um, you know, that's just a strange environment that we find ourselves in now that people are still trying to get used to. So, um, you're, there is a corporate nature to a lot of this. And, you know, I find it very fascinating when somebody launches an event, a new event in particular in a community, and they've got no marketing savvy. Mm-hmm. They throw up a bunch of posters around. They throw something on Facebook. They have a website, and yet, you know, 5,000 people show up. I'm like, wow, how did you do that? <laughs> um, you know, what is it? And, and you know, frequently there's a, there's a connection to a major met- metropolitan area, and they just rely on – you know, the word of mouth somewhere that's got 5 million people is going to be a lot more effective than the word of mouth in Syracuse where we have 120,000 or whatever the number is. Um, you know, it's just it's just a different world. So um, I don't I, I'm not sure how else to do it. We just keep you know, we keep doing it. We keep hoping that people come and enjoy it and they spread the word about it. And uh, that'll bring new people the following year. And so far, that's been the case, you know, with little bumps along the way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, 
this is this has never been about anything than me being a fan and wanting one of these events in upstate New York. For, fortunately, I have the resources to do this because you know I've worked with other promoters who have who you know who are charging things on their mother's credit card because it didn't make them you know they they end up at the end of the weekend having lost so much money. Um, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. I've experienced it, but fortunately, I have the resources to be able to handle it. So I do handle it, and um, you know, again, with with the understanding that I do this because I'm passionate about it, and no other reason. Do you feel like the horror community, in particular, uh, almost lends itself to these kinds of shows because of how the the kind of underground, like the deeply passionate underground horror movement of the the '80s and and '90s used to be? I mean, you look at things now, and it's really hard to know anything that isn't a big-budget movie because everything is through Netflix instead of, like, a video store. But I kind of feel like so much of my experience growing up in the 80s with horror was, like, Vestron video VHS tapes that you just had to really give a shit in order to know that it was even there. Yes, and I don't think that's really changed. I think that this community is unique in the sense that it will see these things out. And I think that the you know the video store has been replaced by the Netflix or the Amazon Prime or the Shutter, or you know whatever else it happens to be, uh, you know Vimeo or Hulu or whatever whatever it is. I mean our options are so far expanded uh, than what Blockbuster happened to carry uh, at any given time. Um, so that's a kind of a good thing, but at the same time, um, you know, it, it does come with some challenges. Um, I know that when I go to, uh, especially Amazon prime and I try to find another horror movie to watch, you know, it's really hard to sift through what they have on there because, and I think Netflix is a little better because it seems like Amazon prime will put anything up. And, um, you know, when I only have an hour and or two hours in a, in a couple, you know, between a few uh, on a weekend to watch a movie, I want to watch something that's going to be decent. And, uh, you know, you don't always get that when you've, when you've, when you've got, um, so many options and such an easy, uh, way to distribute them. Now, uh, having said that there are going to be other people that disagree with me and think that's the best thing about it. And that's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, things have changed. However, the fan hasn't. Fans are still, in this, in this particular genre, they're still um, aggressive. They're still inquisitive. They find this stuff. They seek it out. And, uh, and they talk about it. And I think that's what makes this category of entertainment so much different than any other. All right. That's probably a good quote to end on unless you've got uh, something specific that uh, you wanted to make sure to communicate that I haven't asked about. Well, I just want to, you know, mention the website again. It's mm-hmm. scaricon.com. It includes our schedule of events. We've got a lot of great things going on, including the parties and a Rocky Horror Picture Show shadow cast and some film premieres. Um, great lineup of celebrities. Uh, it's very easy to get to, free parking, and it's a lot of fun. It's a weekend you'll never forget. 